epitch.org. Entrepreneurs telling their stories, giving us a better understanding of the entrepreneurial experience. Welcome Home Construction strives to provide welcoming homes for their customers with innovative features and the attention to detail at every turn. They pride themselves on the quality of the products used in their renovations and the craftsmanship of their partners in creating a property that says, Welcome Home, each time you arrive. You can rest assured that they build to perfection and shortcuts just aren't allowed. Now let's get started in learning more about Welcome Home Construction. Here we go, E-Pitch Fast 30. What is your full name? William M. Joyner, Jr. Age? 66. What city were you born in? Tuscaloosa. Your best quality? <laughs> Honesty. Favorite summer activity? Golf. Current favorite zip code? Not the one I live in, 35801. One thing most people don't know about you? I don't know what people do know about me, so I don't know what they don't know about me. I mean... Well, we'll have to find out. We'll have to find out. There we go. What is better, being organized or attention to details? I think they're both the same, but uh, if, if you're paying attention to details, you are organized. Multitask or single task? Multi. Go with your gut, heart, or accountant? Gut. Introvert or extrovert? Introvert. Favorite entrepreneur? Steve Jobs. Favorite vacation spot? Paris. One thing you can't live without? All right, Debbie, are you listening? My bride. <laughs> what is the one thing you are most afraid of? Screwing up something or forgetting something. Favorite social media platform? Facebook. If you could teach any grader subject, what would it be? 12th grade high school. Favorite subject in school? Advertising. Coffee, soda, or water? Coffee in the morning. Sunrise or sunset? Oh, they're both great. Book, TV, or phone? I hate to say this, TV. I don't read much. Dog or cat? Dog. Favorite food? There's too many. Too do, many to name. Do you have a hobby? Golf. What is the one of your pet peeves? Two. Uh, poor quality and people get too hung up in procedures and don't look at the big picture. Plan or spontaneous? Both. Late or early? Early. Describe yourself with three words. Now, this is a joke. So I do this when people are looking up my account. I say, look under tall, good-looking, and witty. <laughs> Those are good. <laughs> Apple or Android? Apple. Do you love what you do? Yes, I love what I do, and that is creating. That's great. And there you have it, Bill's E-Pitch Fast 30. Now, let's discuss Bill and how he got started in entrepreneurship. Bill, can we kind of discuss where you kind of got your start, like after college? What, what is it that you started doing and how did that evolve into other careers and then eventually into entrepreneurship? That's a great question. It, I, I'm 
college, I finished in advertising and uh, met my bride there in, in, in Alabama, and we were both selected to be on an advertising competition team. So I moved into advertising with the newspaper um, industry and stayed there for 30 years. Toward the end, I saw the show Flip This House one time on a Saturday morning and told, looked at my wife and said, I can do that. And we bought a house and worked nights and weekends and, and flipped it, made good money. Um, and then we did it a couple of more times while I was still with the newspaper. After I left the newspaper, I had a gentleman uh, ask me to come work at a bank. I said, I don't know anything about banking. He says, yeah, but you can sell, so come work for us. So I did that for uh, four years for two different banks. But it was so different from the advertising world where you were creating things and betting on the come. You know, buy this ad in hopes of getting business. In banking, it was, uh, let's not lend that guy money because he had a bad year four years ago. So it was entirely different from what I was used to, uh, even though I, I was fairly successful at it. So. During the last year I was in banking, I bought another house to flip it and told my wife, boy, that's really what I'd like to do is create and, and do things. So I left the bank after my one-year contract was up and bought a house and we flipped it and we made money and then we transitioned that into Welcome Home Properties and, and bought four more. And going to leave the banking and going in to do this, was that a very nervous time or was it more excitement because you knew that you had the ability to be able to, to do these projects? Uh, very nervous because you're leaving the safety and security of health benefits and bonuses and weekly salary or monthly salary versus you know you, you eat what you kill uh, aspect. So even though I knew I could could do the job, and, and or at least I thought I could, at flipping houses, uh, leaving that salaried environment that I had been in for 30 years was kind of scary. Okay, so you flipped your first house in Huntsville, and is there a lot of difference from that year that you did that versus today flipping? Yes, absolutely. Um, back then, people sold houses based on what they assumed the value of that house was was now people perceive the value to be far greater than it actually is uh, given all of these flip shows and home improvement shows they think their house is worth far greater than it is so it's it's becoming harder and harder to find that uh, that bargain out there so you end up sometimes making mistakes buying something for more than you should. And I know on these shows, when you watch them, it seems like they get an unbelievable uh, price to redo like a kitchen. Like they'll redo a kitchen for eight or $9,000, but realistically, I don't know where that comes from. How does that play into what reality is? That's, that's another great question. I posted something on my construction Facebook page just yesterday and it said, today's home improvement shows are just as real as the wrestling shows from the 1980s, which means 
there's nobody that's able to do it that fast, that quickly. The, the reason that they're able to do that is they have crews working nonstop on top of each other. So in today's world, really, electrician's not gonna work while the plumber's in there, and the trim guy's not gonna be there on top of them because they don't like to get in each other's way. Then you've got, if you'll notice on these home improvement shows, everybody's wearing their company t-shirt, so they get, uh, they get uh, advertising benefits for that, so they may donate their materials. That's how um, they get the price down so low, number one, and then two, because they're all working nonstop on top of each other. That's how they do it in such a short period of time. That's not real. Okay. Uh, now, I know that uh, you are transitioning them from one company to another company now, so you are actually buying homes and flipping them. Is that correct? I did that through Welcome Home Properties. I bought homes and flipped them or remodeled them and, and flipped them. At first, it was just my wife and I doing it on nights and weekends while I had a full-time job. And then it became a full-time job where I hired a contractor and we were trying to do four at a time um, and made a lot of mistakes. Now, uh, because of the things that I've learned, I've started a new company called Welcome Home Construction, which I utilize the same subcontractors that we used in the past. And now I do quality work for uh, other clients, but I don't buy and sell houses anymore. Okay, and could you tell us just a couple of things that you thought weren't, uh, that was not going the right way uh, with property? Were you buying high uh, or what? What did that look like as far as some of the mistakes that were made? I made all the classic mistakes in terms of trying to grow too fast and tackling four houses at one time. We should have done one or two at the most because houses sat empty uh, for weeks while we were working on one or two and the other two didn't have enough crew to, to go along. I only used one contractor at the time and that was a huge mistake. The other mistake was um, not adhering strictly to a budget. I knew what the, what the budget was in terms of dollars, but we would get in and I'd say, oh, let's change this, oh, let's change that, uh, because I was broke the cardinal rule in that everything or anything is an improvement for somebody. Everything is an upgrade for somebody. Don't build it or don't remodel it like you're going to live in it. Do it for what the neighborhood will bear. And that was another big mistake I made is I tried to put too much into the homes. Um, so I ended up losing money on several toward the end. Okay, and so when they went on the market, uh, they weren't selling for what you were asking for? They weren't selling for what I was asking for or what I had in them because they were outside what the market would bear for that neighborhood. So they'd end up staying on the market too long. And the other mistake was not figuring in the cost of money. Um, it's not just that you bought the materials and the labor, but you've got a loan now. And so that cost of money continues and as interest rates rose, that number became pretty big. That was a difference from what we did in the past when my wife and I were just doing them we would turn them around in three months, uh, buying, fixing, and selling. Uh, 
pretty quick. But and when we tried to do four at a time, you know, it would take us eight months, nine months, and the cost of money there was just more than we could bear. And the properties that you fixed up and putting on the market, uh, did they appraise for the value to sell them at that you needed them to sell at, or were they coming in under under appraisal? No, they came in at what the uh, at or higher than the than the selling price. Uh, the problem was, uh, and that selling price was generally on the high side of the market. But the problem was, I had more in it than that, so I put too much into the house. Okay, okay, and you know that is something when people start to think about doing a remodel, you know, how how much are you going to lay out and plan and decide on what the upgrades are going to be, like what, you know, there's going to be a, a level as to what the light fixtures are, there's like, you know, A, B, C, right. uh, what, what level are you going to be, and I guess you have to plan that. Right, and um, I made stupid mistakes like taking out perfectly good uh, four-inch baseboards and putting five-inch baseboards in, or um, three-inch window trim and putting four-inch window trim in. And that was dumb. I mean, that's a lot of money to tear that out and put that back in. And so mistakes like that are, you know, what I made. Well, you know, I've always seen you as a very uh, quality person, and so I would imagine that that played a part in that uh, perfection. Um, <laughs> Quality. I'm all a perfectionist, yes. I'm a perfectionist, and that that had a lot to do with it. You know, I wanted to make sure it was absolutely perfect. Now, you know, we had our share of problems, and um, but you know, we tried to make them as 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 good as we could. In fact, that's how we got started in the construction side. We have had a lot of people come through the houses that said, "Man, we're not in the market for this, but wow, can you do this for us?" And, I said no, I can't. I don't have a contractor's license. I can't. I can't do that for you. And I did that. You know, said that too many times. And I thought, well, wait a minute. <laughs> There's an opportunity here. Yeah. After you have kind of down to one house now uh, under Welcome Home Properties, transitioning in to Welcome Home Construction. This is what you're doing full time now. Yes, so we've been doing remodels. Actually, the, the Welcome Home Properties, or Welcome Home Construction came about it, from an idea with my contractor at the time. He said, Bill, we've been working together for too many years. I'm not making enough money because I'm charging you too little. You're not making any money because you're putting too much into these houses. You need to start a construction company and do this for yourself. And so I thought, okay. And so it's, it's not an easy thing getting a contractor's license. People don't realize it's a four-hour skills test uh, and a two-hour business test that, you know, they take everything out of your pockets and, and put you in a room with cameras and you have to go through and, and answer all these tests. So I studied my rear end off and, and got my contractor's license and immediately started doing a re small remodels. And, for folks because they had heard about Welcome Home Properties and and had seen the work that we had done there. For as long as you have been in Huntsville, you know a lot of people. Would you say that that has been a helpful 
part of creating your business? I think it has. It, although most of the business I get is from referrals from customers that I've done business for in the past and they know of somebody or somebody's asked them about a project that need, they, they have a need for and then who do, have they used or heard of. But yes, I've done some business for friends uh, because I've known them, and I, I've done several projects like that just for um, because they know me. But uh, it has helped, and it certainly would be better uh, here than in another market where I've just moved in. Obviously, yeah. And would you say that doing a job for someone that you know versus someone you don't know is that uh, a concern at all for you? <laughs> Sometimes it is. It, uh, you obviously want to do the best job you can for anybody, uh, particularly for your friends. Um, you really want to make sure that you do the very best job possible. So, yes. What type of business is yours? It, it's a limited liability company, is that correct? It's an LLC, that's correct. And both of the companies uh, that you have started are both LLCs. Right. They're both LLCs, simple organizational papers that you file. And was that based on really what was best for your, for tax reasons, for, can you explain that a little bit, why you set that up the way you did? The reason I set up an LLC is that it's a simple tax structure um, and it's just regular income when you run it through uh, uh, your taxes with your accountant, but it's a, it's a simple structure, and particularly if you've got one or two people in the organization, it, it makes it very clean. So our listeners will know how to set up a business from your perspective. Can you elaborate on what you did to get started, especially the complexity of your business having to buy properties? Now, I know you're no longer doing that, but in the beginning, that had to be somewhat difficult to go in and buy properties, and if you could discuss that a little bit. Well, the setting up the there's two questions: setting up the business and then buying properties. So, setting up the business, I had a little bit of a legal background. I used to write contracts for the newspaper uh, and had an attorney, one of our New York attorneys, on speed dial. So, I kind of knew a little bit about protections and clauses and that sort of thing. So, when I did my online search about how to set up organizational documents. There's, there's plenty of them out there that are blank ones that you can copy and alter <laughs> that, uh, that you can do it for your own personal needs. And so, and then you just file those and you can, those are easily downloadable. In, in terms of buying properties though, the good thing about that was being in the newspaper business for 30 years, if you change jobs, and we did, we were in one, two, three, four, five different markets. If you change jobs in the newspaper industry, unlike a banker here in town, you just don't go across the street to the other bank. There's only one newspaper in town generally back then, and so if you change jobs, you move. And so we bought houses, bought sold houses every time. So I had, uh, I knew the ins and outs of buying houses before we ever started buying properties. And then, and then once we decided to do that, that was uh, that was pretty simple after that. You had some 
knowledge of contracts. Did you have to hire an attorney? Did you have an attorney to help you set up these businesses, or do you have an attorney now for other purposes? No, we're, we're pretty small. We've, we're not at that stage. And, you know, certainly if there was a trust involved uh, uh, or different investors, you'd certainly want an attorney in there to make sure the, the, the docs were, were drawn up exactly as they needed to be. But it, with a company like mine, where I'm, there's only two people in it, my, my wife and I, and it's, it's very simple. Those documents for those things are out there. So, no, we, we don't have an attorney now. Hopefully we'll grow enough to where we'll meet one in the future. And I guess right now you're at a stage where you, with your background, understand the downloadable forms that you can have to, to move forward right now. Correct. Plus, I'm a member of the Builders Association of Huntsville, and so they have seminars on what you should include in your contracts. And, you know, they can't give legal advice, obviously, but they, they have suggestions on what you should include in your contracts in dealing with clients. And mine pretty much match up to exactly what they recommend, although the language is different uh, a little bit, but it, it, the intent is very similar. Well, and being part of the Builders Association, how do you become a part of that? You pay your dues. You, you pay to become a member, and, and then with that membership, um, you know, not everybody is a, who's a contractor, not everybody in the, in the business of home building and home remodeling, plumbers, electricians, etc. Not everybody joins that organization, but I think the ones who do really care about their their business and I think it says something to to be a member of that organization we did in our first year because we were very very small but uh, joined it after that and have renewed and so I think it's it's a good place for people who are looking for remodelers and, and builders uh, they can go there and search out some very good names out there. You would say starting a business in home remodel, it would be a good idea to join that? Well, yes, but first you, you've got to pass your contractor's license if you're going to be a contractor, and that's a, an entity in and of itself. That's a, that's a big deal. Okay. And do you have an accountant that helps you? Yes. We, in that, can't live without. So we, we have an accountant that that takes helps us with our taxes and, and income and loss and that sort of thing. So my wife had a, had a company, she was an independent consultant for a while uh, until one of her clients made her an offer she couldn't refuse and, and so she went to work for them full time. And during her last year or two of, of that business, I started Welcome Home Properties and now Welcome Home Construction. So yes, we, we needed a, an accountant to help manage um, the ins and outs of those businesses. What about insurance? What kind of insurance do you have to have to do remodels? Well, the state of Alabama, and, and or city of Huntsville, I should say, requires liability insurance before you can get a business license. And you have to have a business license city of Huntsville and the state of Alabama to, to conduct business here. 
So liability insurance is required, and that's a protection for homeowners, that's a protection for the, the, uh, the contractor themselves, um, and all of the subcontractors that I use also have liability insurance. Most of them also have workman's comp insurance, and we probably need it, I don't have it, because I don't have any employees other than myself, but workman's comp says if I get injured, you know, I'm covered, but um, that's something we'll probably add next year. How do you know that a subcontractor is going to have insurance? Is this something that you just ask them to show you, or is it something that in this industry you kind of know those people already, so you know that they are covered? Well, if you pull a permit uh, for uh, a remodel or a new building of any type of construction project in the city of Huntsville, um, to get that permit cleared, you, at the end of the project, you have to submit a sub-list of everybody who did work for you in that category, whether it's a landscaper, electrician, plumber, framer, sheetrock hanger, uh, painter, it doesn't matter. You have to submit their names, their license number, and they, they better have a valid insurance or you don't get your project cleared, you don't get that certificate of completion. Also, my insurance company requires me to be audited every year, and everybody, everybody who has that type of insurance is audited every year. And they go and look at your books and see, uh, do you have copies or certificates of insurance from everybody that you've used? And if you don't, there's your rates go skyrocket, and and uh, I'm assuming there's fines involved. We've never had those because we've always uh, had insurance or certificates from all of the folks that we've used. Well, and I guess having that check and balance is, is good. Oh, absolutely. It protects the client really and truly it protects the homeowner uh, the person who's hiring us that, to know that the, the people that they're dealing with are both licensed and insured what's been your most memorable experience as an entrepreneur so far well it's I guess it's a freedom uh, you your you are your own boss and being your own boss you're working for the most demanding person that you know of but it allows you uh, the freedom to accept or turn down things you don't want, and you're not tied to a, a you know an eight to five job. And you're you know, sometimes our days start at, at uh, seven o'clock. Some days are over at eight or nine. You know, some days if it's pouring down rain and you're trying to do something outside, that crew's not working that day. It's a day off. But it, it's not a routine, and that's the good thing about it. It's, it's flexible and new and different almost every day. And I think that is a, a true statement there in entrepreneurship, small business. There is something new every day. There is uh, new situations that come up, and it kind of helps you become a better problem solver. And uh, you have to figure out what you're going to do to maximize the day. Somebody asked me the other day, says, well, what's, what's your role like? And I said, well, it's like kindergarten. You know, you know, did this guy show up today? No, he didn't show up. You know, well, and now, he, now you're dealing with that sub or this sub. And, and so it's just part of it. 
right? Managing people, probably one of the hardest things to do. It is, and, and the good thing, I'm blessed with the background and, and working with some pretty large staff. I had 75 people report to me at the paper in Memphis, and I think we had 45 or so, 47 or so here. So uh, managing uh, people had that experience going in and, and dealing with uh, subcontractors, not just them as the business owner, but then their employees, because sometimes, the, most of the time, that owner's not there. He's got his one or two people from his crew there, so you're dealing with them and him, so you've got to know how to encourage and help those and that are there working for you or working on your project. Right, and as you said, that's kind of the kindergartner along with their parents <laughs> that sometimes, you're to deal with. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I cringe at some of the guys when they talk to their employees. I go, eh, that's not the way to get things done, you know. Right, and of course you don't want anything that's going to impact slowing down your project. Right. Well, looking back, what is one thing that you wish you understood about entrepreneurship before you got started? I know that you had mentioned that you had bought four properties at one time. That was sort of something that you wish that you had not done. Um, that may be the biggest uh, thing or hurdle that you had to overcome, but do, are there other things like that that people, that you'd like people to know about? Right, I, it's, I got into it, jumped into it with both feet in the deep end. And, and I guess in, in hindsight, what I should have done was talk to more people in that business in that, and, and learn about all the mistakes that you can make so you didn't make them. Unfortunately, I made about every mistake you could make in, in living houses and, and learn from that going forward with, so I don't do things like that on the construction side. So that's the biggest, I guess, takeaway that I can give folks. And I know a lot of people who have started businesses did a lot of research and a lot of uh, interviews with folks. I didn't, and uh, that's one of the things I wish I did, uh, should have done. Well, if you could offer a first-time entrepreneur only one piece of advice, what would it be? I know that can be a tough question because there's a lot uh, I hear just about every single day that people would say, well, I'd like to open up a business. But and they want to open up a business or start a business is be committed to it and and give it all you got. Don't don't go into it halfway. It's, it's like in golf. Commit to the shot and then execute. If you've got an idea about starting a business, do the research, get the background, get the knowledge, do your homework, and then commit yourself to it 100%. And you hear about stories where people are almost there, and you know it's a struggle every day, and they're almost there, and some people sort of go over that hump, and others decide not to go forward. And sometimes you just have to decide to go that one more step to kind of get past that part that's so difficult. Right, well there's the old adage, don't don't chase bad money, but I mean, at some point you just can't continue. If it's not working and you've tried everything and it's not working, don't just keep pouring money into it and keep losing and losing and losing. Um, stop, do something else, and then maybe you can figure out what's going wrong or what you did wrong, and then you can change that. If you 
believe in yourself and you believe you're, you're doing it right, but it just hasn't come yet, keep plugging away, stay committed, and it will come. Success will happen. And since you were in the banking business, you said something interesting about, you know, you have to review people to see, you know, what's in their past and make sure that you don't uh, give loans to people that may have had something four years ago and, and trying to figure all that out. I, I hear over and over again that it is, it is hard to go to the bank and borrow money. Is there anything, anything that you could uh, advise anybody about before going to the bank to secure a loan for a business? Have a good business plan. Make, make sure that you, you've drawn out your plan well. You, you've got to have obviously some capital to get going and that's where a lot of small business fails is they don't have enough working capital to get over the hump so to speak over those lean times before things really start rolling in. That's where you need a good banker as a friend and making sure that you've got enough money set aside ahead of time to run the business for a while. In the newspaper business, when I was in for 30 years, we were always selling ads, betting on the come, run this ad in hopes of doing bit, getting some good sales. In the banking world, it was, it was a little bit of the opposite. Let's, Let's not lend that person money unless they're really good or if they've got one bad year out of four uh, or they've had three good years and they've got a bad year, well, they've had a bad year, or if they've had one bad year and three good years, like, well, I don't know, they were bad back then. I don't know if that's going to continue. So it, we, it was the opposite. So I'm always the optimist, the eternal optimist. And so. I always believe it's going to happen unless somebody shows me it's not. But you've got to have the capital set aside ahead of time to get the business going. Develop a great relationship with a, with a banker that you trust who will help you, not help you go out of business, but help you with your let your business grow. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to add to this interview? I don't think so. I think we've covered a lot. Charles, it's, uh, I really appreciate you having me on. It's always fun to talk about business and how we get started. And, uh, hopefully, things will continue to grow and, and get better as we go along. Well, there's just one thing I'd like to, to add, and you know, I think one thing that you and Debbie both do is you put a lot of commitment into Huntsville. You all uh, take a lot of time and donations and you you do a lot for Huntsville. I'm always when I see you I just I, I always have this good feeling whenever you're around just simply because I know that you are such a good honest man and I just want you to know uh, how important that is to people that you may not even realize and I just want to thank you for all that you do uh, in our community because it is a, a lot. Well, I appreciate that, Charles. That, and that really goes back to, and I'll call out somebody, Bob Ludwig, who's the publisher of the paper. And Bob always taught the department heads, you know, get involved in the community, get involved with your customers. That permeated the entire staff of the newspaper. So we would, for example, our uh, we did a lot of business with the Board of Realtors. We just, we weren't just affiliates 
members of the board, but my staff would volunteer for uh, projects and serve on the board. And so not just being there, but being an active part of it. So uh, Bob was on a lot of uh, committees. I was on a lot of committees, both regionally, nationally, and locally. And we've, uh, we've pared down that a lot since I left the paper, but still try to help out every way we can and, and try to give back because Huntsville's given us so much. And so we want to do what we can to give back and, and do our part to help make this city great. Well, it is, it is great, so thank you for that. Okay, so it's time for the last question. The final question asked is given to us by our previous entrepreneur. On our last podcast, we had Chris, owner of Everbloom Health, and Chris asks, what do you look for when deciding on a house to buy and flip? And I know that this is not part of your business now, uh, but if you could explain that in the beginning of your uh, adventures in entrepreneurship. Sure. It, uh, in, in buying a property to flip, if anybody's interested in doing that, I know a lot of people are, are doing that and doing that well. The, the way you do this is you start with the end in mind. So if a house in Blossomwood is selling for $150 a square foot when it's all fleshed out, I mean, it's not going to get any more than that. That's and, and, and so in South Huntsville, that may be $110 a square foot. In Nashville, it may be $250 a square foot. So whatever that is, you need to know that. and Talk to realtors and look at homes that are selling that are really redone. And, and what are they getting as a price per foot? I, the rule of thumb is that the smaller the house, the higher the price per foot. The bigger the house, the cheaper a little bit the price per square foot um, in the same neighborhood. So let's say it's $150 a square foot in Blossomwood and you've got a thousand square foot house, for example, that's not realistic, but let's say you got a thousand square foot house, so it's $150,000. And you look at what it's going to take to remodel that house and the materials and labor is $25,000 but you've got to figure on your profit and your uh, cost of money. So maybe that's $50,000 really and truly what it's going to take to get that house up to 150. Now make sure you're also counting in your real estate commissions on both ends of that. They're going to get their, uh, their commission off the buying and selling of that home. And a lot of people don't factor all those different elements in, particularly the cost of money. So if that house is going, can't sell any more than, you know, what the neighborhood normally brings at $150 a square foot. So if it's going to sell for $150,000, it's going to take you $50,000 to fix it up. You can't pay more than $100,000 for that house or you're going to lose money. So if you're think you can buy it for 125 and sell it for 150 you're not going to be able to do all the repairs and, and what's needed or if you do those you're going to lose money on the commissions and and your profit and the cost of money so that's that's the rule that I always use to start with the end in mind you can't sell it for any more than what it's going 
the market's going for. I mean, you can't say, well, my house is going to sell for $250 a square foot when every house around you is selling for $150. Um, so I know it's a long answer, but start with the end in mind and then work your way back, and that tells you what you can pay for the house. Well, that is a great answer. So I appreciate you uh, for kind of going through those steps. That's a very important uh, piece of, uh, of buying and flipping a house, I would think. So. Right. Uh, all right, well, as we close, Bill, please write down your last question for our next guest and tune in to find out how they will answer it on the next episode of epitch.org. And thank you very much for being here. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Charles. Enjoyed it. Thank you for listening today. Please check out my website at epitch.org or anchor.fm slash epitch.org to listen to future podcasts and on my Twitter account, epitch.org, to learn more about entrepreneurship. May these individual stories inspire you to do great things in entrepreneurship. Thank you. Thank you.